2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, coming at you all the way from Colorado, uh, and it is finally starting to feel a little like winter, which is kind of nice, uh, which is also fortunate because I don't have any bikes to ride. <laughs> I sold my bikes and, and I thought, oh, I'll get new bikes this year. And lo and behold, I am a victim once again of the dreaded supply chain issues, which of course... Got me to thinking, what exactly is this supply chain issue? What what We hear that term kicked around. What's actually happening? Because, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I envision boats just sort of anchored in a harbor somewhere with all the things that I want to buy. And it's really like, why can't somebody just go out there and pull the boat in? Uh, but it's more complicated than that, obviously. And that has led to some creative thinking from uh, manufacturers and from bike Uh, companies to to get around these supply chain issues, but we're still feeling that suffering. We're still feeling that pinch as consumers. So I wanted to find out what exactly this is all about. What what are the supply chain issues? How did they start and how do we fix them? So today on the line uh, joining me from Tennessee is uh, Dan Woodcock, who is the vice president of administrative services at Mallory Alexander International Logistics. I'm so glad I'm not the one that has to fit that on a business card. Dan, how's it going?
1: Doing really well today, Dan.
2: Thanks for uh, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with me, uh, Dan. You you happen to have a unique insight as to uh, what's happening in the world right now with shipping logistics and with with the supply chain issues. But I want to start really basic. We keep hearing this term supply chain and supply chain issues. What is happening? Why are we having such difficulty getting products from one place to another right now?
1: Well, you are right. There are a lot of boats that are out there, for sure. And and your envisionment is is as accurate as you can think. Actually, outside of Long Beach right now, there's about 100 boats sitting out there waiting to be docked. Um, But really, kind of, why did we get here? That's, you know, we could talk about the macros and things like that. But to be quite honest the American system for logistics was really broken before this happened, before pandemic came through. And it just, the pandemic really exas- exacerbated this particular issue. Um, and it was really just the, you know, the the proverbial you know uh, straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And really the thing that really kind of gets started with this is the fact that um, you see all the, you see containers move all the time. And when they get on a truck, they get on this thing called a chassis. So the the the, uh, the four corners get bolted onto a trailer. Basically, it's a, a trailer that's moving with a tractor, and these chassis, uh, we just don't have enough of them. That's honestly what it comes down to. And it's it sounds something. It sounds very basic and elementary. But what ended up happening was we used to source them all domestically, and then they went abroad to China, and we started buying them from China. And then our United States government decided that they were going to slap what's called anti-dumping on them, saying that Chinese government was selling them unfairly low priced and driving out US markets. So, you couldn't get them anymore from China. So and nobody nobody in the US now makes them. So, we don't have enough chassis. So, we have all of these boats coming in with all of these containers and they have nowhere to drive to because we can't get them anywhere. So, even if you had people working non-stop 24/7 at every terminal doing it. They can't go anywhere.
2: So so the imagery of the ship sitting in the harbor is is accurate but it's not because there was some problem getting across the, the 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 world or leaving, you know, Asian plants or anything like that. It's basically there's
1: the bottleneck is here in the ports. The bottleneck is here. There are other bottlenecks, but the primary bottleneck is when it gets here. It's just Not feasible to get it out of the terminal, the terminals where where they dock, just not feasible to get them out of there as quickly as possible. Um, And there's a lot of different reasons. Of course, there's, you know, there's unions as well that are uh, at every one of these terminals that work. So like the longshoremen out in the West Coast and the ILWs and so forth and so on. Um, And these guys all, you know, they also are affected by pandemic as well. They're getting COVID and the resources are, you know, their labor is, is less.
2: Can I ask you a question, Dan? Um, you know, a lot of the audience for Lure Magazine is in the is in Europe, uh, and and in the UK. And I'm I'm wondering is the are the problems similar there? I mean, is it is it a similar situation? Is that is the bottleneck the same the same problem there?
1: Absolutely, and you know they now they have different systems over there for sure. But getting the problem is is the supply in general. So all of these ocean carriers, if you think about a bike frame, a bike frame is coming in on a box that's being manufactured in Italy or the UK or wherever it's being done, it has to get into a container um, and load it into there. And there is a finite supply of those containers and a finite supply of ocean carriers who are willing to do that. And the problem it comes down to is the money right now is moving it from China and not from Europe. So just to give you an example, uh, it used to be, pre-pandemic, you could move a container, uh, a, a 40-foot container, for about $3,000 from Shanghai to Los Angeles. That now is about twenty to $25,000. Wow.
2: And that's just during the pandemic that that's boosted?
1: Yes. So that is the current state. And that's if you can even get it. So companies like Nike, where they don't care what they charge because so you're going to buy the sneakers regardless of whether they cost four hundred dollars or a thousand you're going to buy them so they pass that on to customers and that works out really well for them so the carriers are not stupid they're saying as well well i'm gonna i'm not going to go to europe where i'm making less money i'm going to move it over here to asia and forget the european services i'm going to go over here to asia and make twenty-five thousand dollars on a container instead of making piddlywinks over here moving moving these bikes out of Italy
2: is there a reason I mean at this point you know with all the the stranglehold on on um, logistical issues and and getting product from one place to another is there a reason that brands can't sort of shift from cargo ships to airplanes or air freight I mean is that not feasible or is it just because it's a matter
1: of, of scale if you talk about let's say componentry on a bike absolutely could you yes absolutely you're talking about gear you know, gear shifts, you know, and different mechanisms that you're you're moving and all the small pieces, not a problem. The problem comes that in the very beginning of the pandemic, all of the supply was taken by PPE. So, literally every airplane that w- had any capacity was moving PPE. And that was that was and the air freight rates for, as an example, they are shot up from about $3 a kilo to about $20 a kilo. You could move it via air for those kinds of things. But when you talk about moving, let's say, a bike frame or let's say, you know, let's say uh, rims, as an example, tires. No, they're just going to be too voluminous to get packed into an airplane. You're going to spend $50,000 to move, you know, half of what you could in a container.
2: I guess my question then is, you know, it sounds to me like the biggest supply chain issue right now isn't really necessarily... The, the trucks, it's more capitalism is getting in the way.
1: <laughs> there's there's a certain level of capitalism there, absolutely. But, you know, also when, when it gets here, there are trucks, truck issues. There are, is, there is a, uh, a lack of supply of, of drivers right now because they can go out, they can make money doing something else instead of being stuck in a truck. Additionally, if you think about it, there's warehouses. Warehouses are full with a lot of stuff. But the problem is, is that you got a warehouse temp guy who's making, you know, maybe $12, 15 an hour. He can make that anywhere right now. Why, why would you punch a clock over to warehouse? So you're seeing turnover. And so you just, you want to ship a, you want to ship a product from, uh, from a warehouse. It just doesn't happen because they're constantly being, uh, the staff is being turned over. They're just not competent in, in it now because really they might work there one week and then they leave. Uh, We are experiencing that as an example. We have many warehouses throughout the country and we've had to give a lot of pay uh, pay raises. We've had to uh, and we've seen a we've seen a uh, a great increase in our time from from the time of order to the time of fulfillment is has expanded exponentially.
2: Me being the um, simple brained bike person that I am and I say, well, I don't care about all that. I just want my bike um and this all sounds pretty hopeless it sounds like you can't untangle this and it's like you know once once companies you know it's this this is how capitalism works once you know once a company realizes they can make more money doing it this way they're going to do it this way and just because you know there's a backlash to that doesn't mean they're going to stop doing it that way so my question is now that that shipping has become sort of prohibitively expensive for a lot in a lot of ways um, we're having these supply chain issues where the the point a to point b is is point a to point b to point C point D point e and there's different methods of of getting those products moving those products along those paths and some of those are breaking down how do we fix this when do we fix this does this does this get better because right now on I've been talking to some brands who are saying if you order a bike now we might be able to fulfill it mid 2023 um, what's what's
1: the solution? A lot of it has to do with the manufacturing side. That's one piece to it. Um, besides even just actually shipping it. But I will say, you know, the the goal is what the hope is that as Chinese New Year comes around, which is going to be here in about a month or so, the goal will be that for a good week and a half or two weeks, um, three weeks or so, they're just gonna they're gonna shut things down, and so product isn't going to be shipping. And the goal is that. Or the hopes are that we're going to be able to take the backlog of the 100 some odd vessels that are sitting out in, in Long Beach or the 50 that are sitting outside of Savannah or, or New York Terminal and be able to actually start working those vessels and getting them through because they're not being backfilled with more vessels coming in. I think it's a bit of a pipe dream, unfortunately. I think 2022 is going to continue to be rough. I think it will have to shake out and, and honestly, I think a lot of it, and, and this is a really tough thing to say, but I think when you talk about capitalism, I think a lot of it is that we as a consumers are sitting at home now and we want our things and we want them now. So we want our Amazon right now. So Amazon has taken up all capacity. You want to move anything FedEx or UPS or what have you, it all it all moves because I want the, the trinket that I'm buying on Amazon. Is that absolutely essential? Not really. Um, but I think it's going to take in order to get the big things moving, it's probably also going to take people realizing, and I don't think they're going to make this choice, but people are going to have to realize maybe I don't need this trinket right now. And I could postpone that a little bit and let the bigger stuff go through.
2: Maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems like that also ties in a little bit with not, not exactly the demise, but the shrinking of the brick and mortar store which would probably have a backlog of inventory on things. So you wouldn't need to stress the shipping lanes as much as we do now, which is people shop from home, you expect it to come right to your door. That all puts strain on the shipping uh, system, correct? Absolutely, I mean,
1: there's a price to that and that price is, is capacity out in the market and it's labor to move all of those things. Um, it's not just a simple trucker going to a warehouse and and, and taking it to Best Buy or, or, or to, taking it to you know Guitar Center or wherever big box place you're going it doesn't matter anymore. It it's it's now there's a lot of moving steps. So I think there has to be a reexpect there has to be a change in expectation as to what is really essential here, um, and then at that point maybe some of this can slow down. But again, I don't know if that. I don't know if we're capable of that. That's not meant in doom and gloom, but that has to be communicated to people. I think.
2: So I, you know, speaking absolutely realistically, you know, it kind of sounds like 2022 is going to be more of the same uh, with with the backlogs. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, can we see this fixed by 2023?
1: I think so. I really do. I, I would hate to say that. I would hate to say that we could we couldn't. I think. Right now, the administration is putting a lot of pressure on getting our modernizing. So I think I don't know if you know this or you happen to read in the news, but there was a new um, uh, shipping act that was just passed in 2021 as part. And that was uh, tangled up in addition with the administration's current uh, infrastructure bills. So there was a huge there is going to be a huge influx of capital to get modernized all of our shipping ports and so forth and so on and rail systems. And what we really need is you have to think that these are all private companies that are dealing with each other. So the rails are and truckers are dealing with these private terminals as well. They all have to kind of talk and communicate. Nobody's bringing that to the table. And the administration's really taking a big hit on that right now to do that. And I think once they spearhead that a little bit further and put some put some cash behind that, this will get better.
2: We still have a long way to go, but there are signs that that this can be righted. Uh, in, in the future, probably within the next year to year and a half, perhaps. Is that unreasonable
1: Everybody is saying this year is still going to be very, ta- very challenging. Yes. Yes.
2: Uh, Dan, uh, thank you for, for that. That actually clarified a lot of why we're, we're experiencing all this. And And after the break, um, I'm going to speak with uh, Harrison Macros, who's the CEO of Princeton Carbon Works, Uh who was also, you know, as a as a manufacturer of wheels in the bicycle industry was was almost completely hamstrung by supply chain issues and it was a threat to his business. So Harrison had a really uh unique way of addressing the parts shortages that he was facing and I think that's a lot of what we're going to have to see in the future to 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 sort of right the ship as as so as so to speak as uh sort of new ingenuity, new ways to approach these problems, which is you know, not necessarily going to mean just waiting for the ships to, to, to get sorted out. It's also going to sort of mean changing our behaviors uh, and manufacturing behaviors in general. So after the break, we'll talk to Harrison. But Dan, uh, thanks for your time uh, to explain all these shipping logistics uh, issues
1: and solutions. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. And thank you very much.
2: Yeah. And for those of you listening, uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Uh, and we'll be back with Harrison Macris.
0: Why hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawi, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc, I'll leave you to it. So my name is Oren Peleg, and I'm an investor in Lacquer. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry, and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people on two wheels. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis, and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have, and I think LACA's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment.
2: We are back with the Ruler Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari. And, you know, before the break, we heard a lot about uh, why we're we're experiencing a lot of these supply chain issues and what the light at the end of the tunnel is. Uh, But in the meantime, manufacturers are still faced with big problems uh, to fulfill, you know, what orders people want right now. Um, There's no waiting for in, you know, in retail. There's no waiting. You have to fulfill that order and you have to do it quickly. And so, you know, manufacturers are faced with with new problems uh and in that vein, they're coming up with new solutions. So on the line right now from uh, Connecticut, uh, I have Harrison Macris, who is the CEO of Princeton Carbon Works. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, you would recognize these very wavy wheels uh, if you have seen Team Sky slash Ineos slash whatever they are this week. Uh, <laughs> I think it's believe it's still or Ineos. Uh, they are riding Princeton wheels. They're very easy to spot. They're, they have a very distinct wavy pattern. Uh, Harrison, thanks for taking some time to chat with me today. How are you doing?
0: I'm well. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it.
2: So Harrison, you had a a very interesting year with uh, Princeton Carbon Works, with the wheels sort of taking off and and getting a lot more notoriety. Um, And with that, you know, I assume came a pickup in business, but you were having trouble Uh, getting a key component for your wheels. Talk a little bit about what happened and how you responded to that situation.
0: Probably back in the fall of 2019, like transitioning from 2019 into 2020, pre sort of global pandemic, um, just on that barrier, we started seeing some actual signals of components for our wheels were starting to creep up in terms of lead time. So we would order hubs that were normally just off the shelf components that we would say, Hey, we need, you know, 20 sets of hubs. And they would say, sure, we'll ship them out next day. And we order hubs from n- numerous hub manufacturers, which is sort of one of our trademark things is we let people choose what hubs they want. So we have a ton of hub options for wheels. And we started seeing hub lead times creep up. So the writing was sort of on the wall back in November of 2019 transitioning into 2020. And as everyone knows, by March of 2020, sort of, we had this huge shutdown, you know, second week of March, everything started shutting down. Everyone started quarantining. A lot of stuff just stopped. And the hub manufacturers, I think felt it really, really bad because they need to have machinists machining these hubs. So a lot of these hub manufacturers just shut down too. They just stopped. Um, people were quarantining. A lot of people were just at stay-at-home orders. So getting hubs started to become a huge problem, not just for us, but for everyone. Every wheel manufacturer was having issues with getting hubs, um, primarily those that were using um, non-OEM branded hubs. I think a lot of the OEM stuff was still reasonably easy to get a hold of um, because they own a lot of that pipeline. But for us, you know, we're using aftermarket hubs from different manufacturers. It became a huge issue for us. That was probably the hardest thing for us to do was to find hubs in the early sort of middle of 2020. It just, everything stopped.
2: What happened at that point? I mean, you still had orders to fulfill and the, the hub pipeline is shutting down, uh, what it, I mean, at some point you had to kind of look at that from a long-term perspective and say, you know, if we can be hobbled this easily, not that it was easy, but, you know, hobbled this easily by by the pandemic and by shipping issues, um, we need to come up with a different solution. Um, what, was, what was your different solution?
0: And, and you're right. We were crippled. We were essentially crippled at that point where we we're like, okay, uh, we're shutting down. We had to shut down wheel production for a handful of weeks even. Um, and we kind of like kept paying our employees but we said you're not gonna be building wheels so we're gonna just keep you on the payroll and sort of try try to weather the storm so we were definitely crippled where we didn't have enough product to build wheels so we started just imploring every one of our suppliers we said what's your lead time what can we get today what can we get tomorrow like if it means shipping us stuff every few days as it comes off the line you know if we order 100 sets of hubs they say oh those are gonna be ready in six months we said well when can we get 10 when can we get 15 when can you start trickling stuff out and the guys in the team that manage our supply chain and logistics basically went into like global ninja mode of like where can we find parts any parts what can we do where can we look and we were it was a double-sided sword because we were really small, so we didn't have much leverage. Um, We weren't doing huge volumes. We weren't a long established partner. You know, we're a brand new company, very small quantity. So it was very difficult for us to say, hey, like we need a hundred sets of hubs. We need, and people would be like, who are you? Like, Like, who are you? So it was very difficult. And it got to the point where one of our purchasing guys said, how many hubs do I have to order from you for you to start paying attention to us? Like how many sets of hubs do we need to place an order for today? And this was probably back in like April of 2020. And it's really bad because we're such a small company still that we didn't have credit terms. Everything was COD. um, and nobody knew who we were. So it was like the worst of the worst where we were just, we were paying cash for everything. We, we didn't get terms. So we basically went into like global scavenger hunt mode. And the the flip side of the coin, you know, the good part of being small is that we're super agile. You know, the bigger the machine grows, the slower you can turn. You know, you can't turn the ship very quickly if you're a huge ship. So because we're small, it means we're super agile. So we can turn on a dime and we just started scouring the globe for Every hub you can imagine, Chris King, DT Swiss, Tune, White Industries, Industry Nine, like you name it, we were looking everywhere. And it also brought us to bringing on new hub choices because we said, is there an alternative hub that maybe we could get supply of that's as good, better, different, but similar? So like now we offer Carbon TI, made in Italy, um, which we had never offered before, but is a very good alternative. So we did a couple things to sort of hedge our risk. We looked for new, Hub manufacturers, we scoured the globe for parts that might exist. So, for instance, DT Swiss One Eighties are legitimately unobtainium. They are so hard to find. DT Swiss One Eighties um, in the ratchet EXP, you know, disc brake. Everything. It's it's just hard and we implored, it was one of those things where every conversation we had with anyone in our supply chain, whether it was someone that provided tubeless valves to us or skewers or whatever, any part we'd say, hey, do you have any leads on this? We asked literally anybody, do you have leads on this? Do you have leads on that? And we found a guy that knew a distributor of DT Swiss 180s and like through just this circuitous beg, borrow, steal of like, hey, can we get like 20, 30 sets of those, which is like, Nobody can buy 30 sets of DT-180s, at least, at least not us. You know, I'm sure there's someone, but not us. So we did what it took. But on the flip side of that, we also knew that it wasn't super sustainable to just be running 24 hours a day and have your phone. You know, you, you'd have to answer the phone at three in the morning sometimes. And it was like that every day. And it still is to some degree like that because it's not just hubs. It's every constituent component spokes nipples skewers um, tubeless valves lock rings brake rotor lock rings and stuff like just crazy stuff um that's hard to find but yeah on the, on, on the, the the tail end of that we did have this idea of if hubs are such a sticking point if it's so sticky to find hubs what does it look like if we start to engineer both a better hub and something that we have a little bit more control over in terms of the supply chain. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to oversimplify it, but um, a hub is a machined component, right? A lot of it is machined. Some of them are pre-cast and then machined. Some of them are machined from billet. Um, so at the end of the day, if you have a competent machine shop that's willing to do the work, you can machine hubs, uh, you can do it. And in the back of my mind, I, as an engineer, I said, we can machine hubs. Like we just don't have, the wherewithal like we can't tell white industries machine hubs just for us because they have a thousand other customers that are begging them for hubs. So I did have this sort of vision of what if we made and engineered a hub that was different, better fit the criteria that we require based on feedback that we're getting from both customers and professional racers. Um, And then we would have a little bit more supply uh, or rather control over the supply chain itself. So that was something that we started in 2020 as well. And now we're just finally starting to launch that different company as well.
2: That just recently launched, for those of you listening uh, in December, and uh, it is Tactic Racing, I believe is the name. uh, and, And this is a separate company from Princeton Carbon
0: Works, correct? Correct, yeah, it's a completely separate company. And we wanted to make it clear that Tactic Racing was initiated to make the best hubs in the world not necessarily just to make PCW life easier. So a lot of OEM hubs are a cost savings measure, but also it makes it easy because you can just buy one type of hub and then every wheel comes with that hub on it. So it makes it very simple. Um, PCW operates in offering seven or eight different hub choices. So we're familiar with having to source a lot of different stuff. So it wasn't a big deal just to offer one additional choice. Uh, But we do have a lot more control because we can basically go to the machine shop and say, hey, we need you to machine 300 shells, you know, this month instead of 200 shells, something like that. So, but yeah, the desire of Tactic was to make a better product uh, because we do have a handful of years of experience building wheels and also having racers give us feedback on the hubs. Um, So it was twofold, like build a product that suits our wheels really well, but would also suit other wheels very well and then also have some form of control because we were dead in the water in March of 2020. We had zero control and we were looking for anything.
2: Where are these Tactic uh, hubs made now?
0: Tactic is 100% manufactured in Germany. We have a sister company uh, that is run by a very brilliant engineer. His name's Christian Jenny. Christian Jenny has been in the hub industry for probably more than a decade. He is sort of a guru uh, when it comes to hubs. So we have been working with him. Him and I interface every single day, um, exchanging CAD drawings and going back and forth. And um, him and I basically have worked to get this off the ground. So he has all of the machining capacity. He set up this very high end, you know, five axis machining system just for tactic hubs. So we have our own machining cell, which is fantastic. And it's great because I get on the phone with Christian and say, hey, how are things going? We're going to need, you know, more hubs for February and March. And we can, our our lead times go from, you know, in some cases, 18 months to, okay, give us a couple weeks heads up and we'll make sure we can add, you know, 20% more to next months.
2: So that gives you a lot of agility and also solves a lot of that supply chain issue um, because, you know, you're, you're simplifying, you know, the, the, the. The ways you have to communicate with with supplier X to get it to my warehouse, right? It's just such a, a much cleaner uh, interaction. The shipping is probably a lot simpler uh, since it's not coming from Asian countries. You probably don't have to put it on a boat. Um, it could probably fly pretty quickly and easily to the U.S. And you know,
0: honestly, we haven't put anything on a boat in the existence of Princeton Carbon Works. We've never had, we have never had the luxury of. Of have, not only having the volume but the lead time. You know, we're getting to a point now where we're growing, and, and the volumes. You know, we've had some really great growth from 2020 and 2021, but it's just it's a lead time problem still because you're still going to be waiting. You know, easily a month if not two months for something that's coming via sea, um, whereas if we're if we're flying it via air freight, sometimes we can be as little as you know one day. Europe to the United States.
2: If, um, I, I, you know, we only have about a minute or two left here, but I, I want to talk about the hubs themselves because aside from just being a supply chain solution, they're actually pretty cool. Uh, they've sort of simplified a little bit uh, the machining and the design uh, of how you know free hubs work. So talk a little bit about what sets tactics hubs apart from other designs. Um, to me, it looks really neat.
0: They're very unique and just quickly, like a simple, simple explanation of it is the The free hub body itself has a, a concave conical gear sort of inside the, the free hub body and that interfaces with a convex ratchet that floats um, axially it, it slides axially in the hub with a spring. So that ratchet um, basically lives inside the hub shell and interfaces with the free hub body um, and because they're it's a conical interface as opposed to just a flat interface. It has a much larger surface area of engagement and B, it's always perfectly aligned. It's always concentric. So when the the teeth of the gears engage, because it's on a conical interface, you know that all the constituent parts are completely concentric. So there's no alignment issues. It increases the lifespan of the system. Um, We've had a lot of questions since launch over the fact that, both the ratchet ring and the free hub body are completely made out of aluminum um, they are hard coated like surface hardened hard coated aluminum um, but because the engagement surface area is so large we can get away with using an aluminum ratchet uh, and having no issues in terms of longevity so it's it's a really unique system and the result is we can make a system that's much lighter with fewer parts
2: uh, Harrison, uh, if people have questions, where can they reach you uh, about Princeton or about Tactic uh, Racing? So
0: my emails are just at, and princetoncarbon.com and tacticracing.com. Uh, if there's general inquiries, uh, info at Princeton Carbon or info at tacticracing.com. Both of those work. Uh, and we're highly, highly responsive. That's one of our key things. We want to make sure that we get back to people in a very timely manner. If you are a a youth
2: out there listening, that's email. You might not have heard of it. So you might, uh, on the social medias, where can they find you?
0: So social media, we're at Princeton Carbon Works and at Tactic Racing. Um, Primarily Instagram. We have not yet bridged the gap into the uh, TikTok metaverse, et cetera. But we are on Instagram, so you can find us there. Great.
2: And, uh, and you can find me, folks, at Brown Tie Dan on Twitter uh, and on Instagram. Uh, and I'm always happy to answer questions or uh, direct your questions to, to Harrison if you have any, uh, any clarifications that you want. Uh, Harrison, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. And um, it, was, it was really great. I, I appreciate talking with you every time.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, and I'm I'm impressed with uh, the resourcefulness of what you guys have done with tactic and uh, and really sort of navigating the very stormy waters of of the supply chain issues. And I hope those of you listening have a better understanding of why we're facing these uh, this really what is a crisis for for the bike industry. Uh, but if you have questions, please do reach out at Brown Tidan. You can of course reach out at Ruler Magazine on the social medias as well. We'd be happy to chat with you there. And uh, again, for those of you listening, thanks for taking the time. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Ruler Tech Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.